Welcome to Between the Before and After, a podcast about the stories that shape us. I'm your host, Coach John McLernan, and each episode, I bring you an inspiring guest with a moving story that shines a light on the power of the human spirit. Before we dive in, I want to let you know about two very important things. Number one, the stories shared here are often gritty, raw, and vulnerable, and very likely will include speaking about sensitive topics suited for a mature audience. Number two, this podcast is also broadcast live on YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. So on whatever platform you follow myself or Freedom Nutrition Coaching, you have the opportunity to participate in this discussion. You can comment on the live stream, and we encourage your participation both by commenting and asking questions. So this podcast is about exploring the stories that take place between the before and after photos, not just in the realm of weight loss, but in all areas of life. So let's dive in. Welcome to another episode of Between the Before and After. I'm excited because for the second day in a row, I'm interviewing a fellow Canadian, and this one happens to be from my hometown of Vancouver. So a warm welcome to James Hepner, and I'm going to hand the mic over to you and let you introduce yourself and share with my listeners what it is that you do. Thanks, John. When you say another one of those, yeah, there are a few Canadians. (laughs) Not that many. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for that. I really appreciate it. John, I like to think of myself as an artist of experience. I do several things. My passion is to create transformational experiences for myself and others as a way to explore what it means to truly live. And I mean living bold and fully alive. Hmm. Some people, they, they're concerned about what does it look like to ignite your life? They think, are we going to explode and, and, and blow up in midair? What is, and what I like to look at is that when we lean into the weekly wins and losses of our life, it helps us in our journey, helping us to embrace all of life. And so who here doesn't appreciate that life is both a win and a loss? And and not to say that we were either this or that, but actually in between all of it, whether you consider it's a win or a loss, but that and between those lines lies our life. And so unless we engage in both of those in a healthy way. So if we just enjoy the win of our life, we're missing out of half of our life. And so, right. um, and why do we do all of this? Well, to gain the courage needed to do difficult things, right. learning how to pivot. Who doesn't want to learn to pivot with power and the poise needed and gain the mental clarity and emotional mastery needed to, and once again, to truly live a life that's fulfilled. I once didn't live the way I am today. My life felt empty. It felt shallow, right? And so, uh, and again, key thing for me in my life and the key thing, what I do and I help my people achieve, walk towards, be within is not waiting for the storm to pass. So if we're waiting for the storm to pass, COVID might never be over. (laughs) So we need to jump in at the opportunity to engage now. Yeah. And, you know, so sometimes we hear uh, aspirational language like that. Um, it, sometimes people aren't used to speaking on those terms. So we as coaches are kind of accustomed to speaking in aspirational mm-hmm. terms. But mm-hmm. for somebody who is listening might go, okay, well, what does that look like? What does this translate into in sort of my mm-hmm. practical mm-hmm. reality? Mm-hmm. 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 That's a really good question. And I think um, at the core of all of it, we must find a way to translate what it is that we've experienced. And like you say, coach speak, you and I, this is what we do. Real reality looks a bit, and perhaps I can just share a story, how I've designed this last decade of gratitude for me, right? And so 
I've spent this last decade just fully leaning into what it would look like to live a life of gratitude. And prior to, I went through, and many of the listeners can relate probably to this, who doesn't go through a super tough season of life, you know, yeah. and unawares to me, you know, I, and I guess I wasn't really thinking of what was happening other than, cause you know how it is, things just come undone and we don't much, I'm not sure what's, what's happening, why it's falling apart. I became very self-focused. So of course I started thinking, well, the problem all I'm the common thread, so I must likely be the problem, you know, and I was constantly measuring my value based on my ability to perform and performing life versus living life, two totally different things, right? And so this led to a very miserable and, and, and you know what, when I say miserable existence, but it's actually a very unhelpful variety of self-induced suffering and self-induced suffering just means this is what you do to yourself. You choose this space, you bring the suffering, and this is what happens, right? And so what happened for me is I literally checked out of my life about 13 years ago. I checked out for about two and a half, three years of my life. Yeah. And and so what what do we do in the world around us is crashes, and we become aware that um, we're not living a sustainable life. Right. Yeah. You know, when I hit rock bottom, I was quite successful prior to. I had income coming in. I had good capital. I had good lines of um, investments. But what 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 came to me? My son was diagnosed with high functioning autism. Mm-hmm. I was audited at as a company. I had the money to pay any of the taxes that I owed. But it all came together, and it came together for what in the moment frightened me. What frightened me was something difficult, something that I had never dealt with before. Right. Yeah. Now I've yeah. never been tested for anything. I, I don't have ADD. I've never, I don't have a professional diagnosis, but what I can tell you is autism comes from somewhere. So either my wife right. or from me or from our heritage somewhere along the line. And so I've worked on myself ferociously to really slow down what's happening in here and to translate. So your question, it triggers mm-hmm. me right for the moment to slow down what happens and to relate with what the world is feeling so that they understand, right? And so speaking of sustainable, of course, everything frightened me. And to be honest, I almost lost my marriage. I've been married to Meg now for it's it's going to be going on 23 years. I've been with her, the same woman for 27 years. I nearly lost my two children and I nearly lost the home, the businesses, the investments. So it went from here to there. And to be honest, I was a little more than dazed and out of order, right? And Mm -hmm. I stumbled around inside this mess, questioning my place in life and just seriously doubting that I had really much value because I thought I was a problem. And um, so let's just say that when I fast forward it, when I came out of that stupor, and that was about Mm. a decade ago. And so for the last decade, I've checked back into life. And instead of complaining that things are too hard, I decided to rather be about enjoying doing hard things, like enjoying that space, right? And okay. so, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so let's, let, let's rewind the clock a little bit here. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so your wife's name is Meg. Is that right? Yes. So you met her. So, and if I'm not mistaken, you're 46. Is that right? <laughs> you are so spot. My birthday was a couple of days ago. So I don't know if you knew this, but you're right. 46. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, so 27 years together, meaning you would have started dating her when you were 19 years old. Is that right? Correct. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you're, you were just like starstruck teenagers and uh, were you born and raised in Vancouver? Absolutely. No, actually, born and raised in southern Manitoba, so Winnipeg. Okay. So that's central Canada. That's Man- yeah. province of Manitoba, just straight up from North Dakota. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. So so you meet your, your couple of starstruck young lovers here, uh, going back to, uh, I guess, like maybe the early, early mid-90s kind of thing. And uh, when grunge rock was a thing and the internet wasn't a thing. <laughs> and and you, you decide, this is what I want to do with my life. So what, what did you decide you were going to do with your life at that point in time? 
Well, that's a great question. I was uh, I was raised in a Christian home. My dad is a pastor of a mega church and um, fantastic home as far as I'm concerned. Yet uh, one of the things um, that I think is is very obvious when it comes to who it is that we become as people, when we lean into who our parents were, parents have a demand of us and a desire of us. And our parents demanded of us that we do the right thing. Of course, like a good Christian boy should know all the right thing and do all the right thing and whatever. And I've since I'm, you know, I'm still a believer, but I have worked at now I include other faiths. I'm not an exclusionary person. Right. But um, let's say it like this. My dad wasn't a very wealthy person. He had a farm and um, I always observed that his desire in life, whether I picked it up proper or not, it's not the point, but to create capital and have a lot of it. Right. And so when I first got married to Meg, my first, and so the child will respond to the desire more than the demand always. And so what was interesting right. is though I'm not a daddy's boy. Like I, I love Meg and we didn't go to my parents every day for lunch, but I went about proving to myself that I had worth based on, and I was going to kind of redeem that we never had a lot of money when I was a kid. So I went about doing that. So when 9-11 happened, for example, that was a year into our business, I think, or something like this when, after we got married, um, What's really fascinating is I would watch 9-11, the reel, over and over and over again. And during that time, remember, th- you know, people say now, do you remember where you were when that happened? I remember yeah. I was thinking, boy, James, you've proved to yourself that you're successful. So that's what I was right. doing. <laughs> right. So uh, in terms of successful, what, what, what is it that you were doing in, in business uh, mm. at that time? Mm-hmm. So I took a concept. So we lived in an area where, of course, people live in houses. So we don't live in igloos. They don't live in igloos in Manitoba. They live in houses. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not that cold. There's, so you, uh, you weren't up in the north in Churchill with the polar <laughs> no, bears. No, yeah. no, 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 no. Exactly. Thank you. And uh, so I just became aware. Like I had never built a house before. And I had actually developed allergies on the farm years ago. And so I just realized that working with my hands physically probably wasn't a great idea. There's dust, different things. Um, and so I had, of course, tried college for two weeks after high school and I didn't last more than two weeks. I dropped out of, you know, out of college. So I'm like, I'm gonna have to create this success on my own. And so I thought, well, why don't I do something in real estate? And of course, when I saw the profit margins, I'm like, actually, there isn't a whole bunch there and, and, and to support right. the lifestyle that I want would be. So we decided we were going to build custom homes in a small community called Winkler. And we were going to market those homes to other um, states in the U.S. because the exchange rate and also to uh, oil field places like in Saskatchewan. So it's a province right over. And so we we got into uh, building custom homes. I didn't build the homes. I, I outsourced. And um, the idea was kind of foreign, to be honest, to people in our area. They didn't, they didn't right. know who I was. And when I came to them, they kind of laughed at me and they said, you're going to do what? And I said, not only are we going to do this, but we're going to create the most amazing experience for clients. We're going to come in and in two days... We're going to have their house design with all of their selections completed. They're going to have a full confident deck in their mind. It's not going to be all busy, busy. And then coming back, what do you want here? It's going to be nice and tight. It's going to be an amazing experience. And anyway, make a long story short, I didn't have the money to start. I had nothing. I couldn't borrow any money. And so what we simply did is we decided to pre-sell. And so I remember one day thinking, my dream might die soon because I couldn't raise capital. And I just thought to myself, listen, I'm at a a juncture. And so how about if I just change the narrative? What's the one reoccurring thing that keeps tripping me up? And I'm like, money. And I'm like, well, if you don't have money, you don't have have business. Then I thought, actually, how about I just change when I get the money? Instead of getting paid at the end or the middle, how about I get paid most in the the beginning? 
So I found right. markets that were hungry for that space who would supply plenty. And from yeah. there, we just kind of went on. And it was really bizarre because people, just to the point, people would think in our area, they would think that I was backed by some massive financial person because we went from nothing on our lot to having the whole thing full of houses. And it was so fascinating because if we'd have a lot of houses and they were moving off right away, they think we're about going bankrupt. <laughs> and yet they're all paid for. So it didn't matter to me. So it was kind of a really interesting dynamic. So to, to make it really short, I took a concept and scary things that would scare most people didn't scare me in that stage because I was proving myself. This is, of course, be, before my burnout. Right, right. So and you so, were making so, like uh, custom modular homes, like homes that can correct. be transported. Yeah. Yes. And selling yes. to the U.S. because the exchange rate was great. So you could that, that's like nice little uh Nice little add-on uh, profit margin for you. And, Spot on. Uh, yeah, yeah, okay. So, and uh, you were starting to enjoy a, a degree of success because the capital is coming in. And over time, you're probably building up uh, building up a little bit of capital with the, maybe the profit mm-hmm. margins you're enjoying. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll never forget. I remember uh, my first goal was to have a million in the bank. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and what I actually wanted to do, this is so funny. I just, it trig- you triggered me to this thought. When I, when I had my first million in the bank, I remember thinking, contemplating like the craziness of this, let's go to the bank and let's get them to put a million dollars in a briefcase. And I want to take it home and I just want to lay on my bed with it. Like, this is, this is how much I wanted (laughs) money. Like it's I never did it, but this is what I thought of doing. This is crazy. (laughs) You know? That's funny. And and you get it in multiple denominations because Canadian, the Canadian currency is, is mm. multicolored. So mm-hmm. you get it, get it in multiple <laughs> <True>. denominations. <laughs> uh, so the, the, here's something really interesting. So you had this idea that I want a million dollars in the bank and probably w- that idea is connected to I've made it in life or I have some degree of security in life because mm-hmm. I now have this mm-hmm. financial capital. Mm-hmm. So in, in paper, on paper, you were a millionaire at that point. Mm-hmm. And did you, did that sort of, was everything you thought it was going to be, or was there like this moment of realization where you go, I thought this was going to be something. And once the novelty wore off, a different reality set in. Hmm. You know, what was fascinating is um, I wouldn't say I wasn't grateful for what I had in the account. Like I, I was, I was clearly present with what I had. I wasn't just jumping <laughs> to the next thing yet. And that's a really good question. Cause I remember I, I went about, we built a brand new house. I purchased a bunch of cars uh, and it wasn't just in one shot. Um, mm-hmm. But one of my deepest concerns, this was interesting at the time where I said, I want to make sure that I don't entrap myself with thinking that this is worth anything more than what it is. It's just paper. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so the reason that I upgraded the cars we had in the house is because we needed our house was old and we were a custom home builder. So people sometimes came to our home and wanted to show what we did. So we built a show home. Basically we lived in that vehicle the same way. If people come and they have a lot of money and whatever it is they want to buy, you want to present well. And my concern always was I don't want to cast this persona and not only not only don't I want to cast it towards them, but I was very aware don't, I don't know where I picked this up, but my dad never had the funds, but I was very aware not to create something that would grab hold of me and change me. Mm-hmm. And what interesting. was interesting, I'll never forget. So a car that I bought, I all of a sudden realized I didn't need that car about a year after I purchased it. I sold it. I, of course, what did I lose? 25, 30,000 from the mm. price I paid for it. And what was fascinating to me at that time is I think that's when the wheels started coming undone. And mm, go ahead. 
that's an interesting phrase. The wheel started coming undone because you, you went hard after something and you enjoyed uh, a degree of success relatively young in mm-hmm. life. I, I would say maybe it's fair to say like almost like you, you're, you weren't prepared because nothing 100%. really, nothing actually prepares you for it until you're mm-hmm. in that circumstance. Mm-hmm. And I think we can see this scenario playing out many times in people's lives where mm-hmm. at a young age, they, they achieve a degree of success far beyond what the average person does. And they're not entirely prepared for it. I think examples that are like young athletes, right? But, you know, so here you are and, and the wheels are starting to come off because uh, maybe you're, you're, you're not feeling quite as anchored to your reality or it's not, it wasn't the utopia that you were hoping it to be some sort of unmet expectation or, or am I off track here? Spot on. Spot on. You know, and, and it, I think what was fascinating about it, um, if I would language it in the sense of, so if I'd say it in the way that comes to heart now, and even then, uh, there was this moment of going, it feels kind of empty. Like I bought my mm. dad a restored 1949 pickup truck. It was really beautiful. And sure, loved to, it. Yeah. To, to be honest, it ended up, a lot of this stuff ended up creating more of a conflict in my brain and in my life. Because the closer I got to thinking that I was valuable, I got what my dad desired or I thought he desired more. The closer I got to that, the more I felt um, like I could begin to feel that my business relationships, I had business or I had these relationships in that field. The only thing is I had them because of business. And I started feeling, exactly. I started feeling very, mm, like the footing I was standing on wasn't very secure. And what did I do other than, well, maybe I just need to create more. And so my focus became deeper, further, faster. The problem is I ended up hurting myself and a bunch of people. So I am currently about deeper, further, faster. However, it's now not ever about hurting me and other people. So then it was like without me knowing it, like I'll never, like I don't think that I was ever really a jerk. Not really. Mm-hmm. Right. The only thing is I was a wounded soul. Right. I was so the desire to the desire to check out from life, and essentially, because we're we're probably getting to that that point that you were describing, we were somewhere mm-hmm. near that point where mm-hmm. I want to check out from life, and that's a that's a response in our brain to feeling an overwhelming weight. I need I need I need out, and you went into uh, what I'm gonna. Uh, surmise is like a period of burnout where you really didn't have the capacity for a lot of things. Mm-hmm, and so mm-hmm. you said, you nearly, you know, uh, was your wife like, how, how was she navigating this alongside you? And what was she picking up on? And was she communicating any of this to you? Hmm. <laughs> My wife's a really interesting human. Mm. She will kind of let, mm-hmm. she will let happen what needs to happen. And, I got these two pictures behind me. There's a lion and then there's a lamb. Yeah. Meg was always very soft and I was always quite firm. Mm. So you can see in our relationship, people used to say that we were really effective together, but separate people didn't know so much. So of course, if you bring firm and soft together, that's what makes anything influential at the same time. Mm -hmm. So not, I don't need to just have it. She has the other side and then together. No, if one person can embody, which we can both those energies. That's a beautiful thing. But so Meg, uh, of course, what happens if I come on board and I say, Hey, I think we need to buy this new vehicle. She would push back a little bit, but how would she push back? Well, in the soft way, she would Mm -hmm. push back this way. Right. And so 
Yes, she did pick up. But of course, we were at the stage we wanted to have children. So we mm -hmm. had children. So the wheels started coming off again when Harrison was diagnosed with autism. We had moved to Malaysia mm -hmm. for a short span of time. And uh, I just started really noticing that there was a version of how we were all wrapping around his style. But I had never given myself the gift of I was good enough for me not to think that I had to become like everybody else. Right. I right. constantly thought I should be like someone else. I should be like someone else. And I'll never forget. Yeah. The exact as opposed to my and, and I'll never forget when the wheels started popping off. I couldn't believe what was happening because I had spent so much time studying what it was like and who to be if you're going to be a good dad. Mm -hmm. a good leader, a good husband. And all of a sudden it just, this earthquake kind of thing just started shaking yeah. and it just brought, like you said, I hadn't prepared. I had prepared myself, but nothing will other than life reveal to you what was really there. And what I discovered, my friend, oh my goodness, I was horrified. Like it was just not pretty. And you know, the thing is I told myself a disempowering story. This was sent to take me down. Life okay. is over. Mm -hmm. Right, right. So the the wheels are coming off. Uh, how, how does that look like in sort of day-to-day -day life? You're, you're walking about in this funk, um, you know, if not really maybe a sense of meaning or purpose, not even sure what you want in life. Uh, how, how are you How are you functioning or existing? What did that look like? Yeah, well, that's, that's a great, the way you said that, functioning and existing. It got quite quickly to the point where I said I'm not able to work. Mm -hmm. And uh, I would just, you know how it is when things aren't working out. What do you, you you tend to want to, like you say, you check out. And checking out for me was how can I stay alive, but just could I maybe sleep it away? Mm. So my addiction mm. became sleep. Right. And I would literally be in bed for 18 hours or 20 out of 24. Like it was horrible. Yeah. If my friend would, or sorry, if my wife would have friends come over during the day for coffee, they would know I was in the bedroom. And what I would do if I would wake up, I had a little bottle beside my bed, Tynal or Advil with codeine. I had melatonin. I would pop those things. Frankly, to this day, if I take melatonin, I don't have an adverse reaction, but I can't really fall asleep anymore because I've overdone it. Mm -hmm. I would take a handful of melatonin and codeine or Advil with gravel or something that I'd fall asleep. And if my wife had the friend had her friends over and the friend was just or her her and her friends are having coffee on the other side of the wall, I was too ashamed to walk out of the bedroom at two o'clock in the afternoon. So I opened the window and I would climb out of the window with my pajamas. <laughs> And the reason I do this is I, I needed to go back uptown to get some pills or do something. Or what I would do is on a day when I thought maybe I could put some energy together to be productive. So Meg and I came up with a plan. Maybe I just work for an hour a day. I said, I'm going to the office. So I'd hop into the vehicle. I got all, all dressed up like I normally would to go to the office. And I'd hop into the car and I'd drive towards where we're building houses, but I take a side road and I park my car where other cars wouldn't spot me. There was bushes and I'd park and I'd hop to the back seat. I grab a blanket and I pop melatonin. I'd sleep for an hour and a half. I wasn't tired anymore. It was just, I was trying 
to get away from life. So I tried to sleep mm-hmm. my way away from life. And so did I spend time with the children? Not really. Did I see right. Meg? I don't think we ever in two and a half years sat at the dinner table once. And I value family tremendously. So it was not pretty. Like my life was was very and miserable. Was, was your business, so your, your custom home building business, was it still functioning at this time? It was functioning, but I had talked to the staff and I'd say, yeah. hey, listen, I just need some time to regroup. And so what was fascinating is while my head was spinning as I was laying in bed or in the back of the seat of the car or whatever I was doing, all that was happening inside of me was noticing how everything was slowing down. I saw the numbers drop if I check in online. I'd see specific dramas unfold at the office that typically I would just attend to and we'd make better and we'd go. I'd see contractors call and them not. So I could feel. So when I said that the wheels start coming off, I could feel it slow. It was such a painful death. Mm-hmm. But if I look back now, I'm very grateful that that I felt it in stages like that because one shot could have been, I would say too much, but I think literally the fact that I could see these small things and they just kept adding and adding that it started chipping away that my value wasn't in the things that I owned. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. It's kind of like the, the death by a million paper cuts, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. just, just happening piece by piece. So you're, you're, you're in this really, really difficult spot. Um, your, your wife is, is witnessing this. Is she, was she a part of the business? Is she holding it together or what was she doing in this time? Mm-hmm. Well, Harrison, high functioning autistic boy, it was mm-hmm. two by that time and Rowan was mm-hmm. four. And uh, now she, she wasn't in the work uh, force. She used mm-hmm. to work for our company, but ever since we had children, she would check it every now and again, but that wasn't her active role. Right. right but it yeah, got, yeah. It, it got so nasty. I mean, consider this, we went from not really being, I shouldn't say not known. Everybody knew me in the area because mm-hmm. my dad was this pastor of this mega church, right? So, I mean, that was right, yeah. very annoying to me, but everybody knew me, but we we were not known as business people. Right. So I went right. from being known everywhere to all of a sudden, but not known in the business arena at all, to all right. of a sudden being invited to all of the uh, business luncheons. And I got seated with all the movers and shakers. So I got put in that spot. And of course, I had... Our lot was full of houses. We had people who were completely, and I'll be honest, if I'd say it the way that they presented it to me or what I heard, like newspaper articles, they were enamored with what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Yep. And while I was laying in bed, I became aware that we needed finances. And so my wife figured she could help out. So back to your question. And 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 and, and so I says, well, how, how would you like to help out? And I was, I guess, a little prideful. And she goes, I could just do childcare. I'm like, what? And and that was revealing to me that, see, this money had got a hold of me because apparently I was above work and that's not cool. I was right, above certain right. things. And so she would, and so she, and typically she had three, four children in her house and she just helped along with the groceries here, but that, that was her role and that, or yeah. that was what she decided to do. And I think yeah. it, that actually got me. And so what happened when I just fast forward the story hmm. before I re-entered my the business arena back on the farm. I had class ones, so I could drive a big semi. Mm-mm. I still had class ones, and with Meg's effort towards just engaging in what she could do, 
Harrison, she the reason she did this 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 uh, this children thing is she didn't want to leave Harrison with just anyone because right. he's high functioning, right, autistic. Right. He needs support and help and different things. So For she's sure, a, yeah. a deeply you know empathetic person. But her angle at how she chose to contribute one day was it her that's I think she said she goes James, why don't you do at least what you can? I said what is that? She goes you got your class ones, why don't you hop in a truck? So mm. I hopped into a semi and I'd never driven across like with a big, like I'm not a long distance trucker. And I, yeah. and I drove a, a, a big rig for six months and got, and get, got this thing straight. <laughs> you had a lot of time to think. Yeah. My goodness. It was unreal. It was just shaking loose the cobwebs. I'd pull over at a rest area and people didn't, they're like, you're, you're driving the truck. Cause you're not a trucker. <laughs> so were you re-delivering homes then like driving the truck? No, it wasn't anything to do with their business. I think I was, I don't know what I was delivering groceries. I, like I literally like, you know, like a long distance trucker. I was yeah, a yeah. long distance for six months. I just drove truck. I'm like, so I got, I just worked it through. I remember putting in CDs and like just listening and getting, and you know what, honestly, I was so tired in the beginning because I was used to sleeping 20 hours a day. Right, right. Yeah. You know, yeah. and I remember thinking, I remember thinking, I can't do this. There's no way. Like, you can't stay awake that long. So the, the weird stories were just bizarre. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that, so this is how you started digging yourself out. True. Yeah. Is, is, uh, you, you started doing something meaningful and something that was within your present capacity. Mm-hmm. And, uh, well, what did that kind of awaken in you? You know, what did, what did that show to you? Because, you know, we, we hear about like hitting, hitting rock bottom. You, you kind of, mm-hmm. you hit this rock bottom. And, mm-hmm. and what we, you know, what we often want to know sometimes, you know, because I don't think there's a formula or a template, but it's like, how did you dig yourself out of this? And this is like step one is you hopped in a truck, you started driving a truck, which seems like uh, kind of a lower, a lower class job to be doing for <laughs> someone who had a successful, mm-hmm. a financially mm-hmm. successful business. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that was, that was like the first step to digging mm-hmm. your way out. You know, I think if I take myself back to that stage of my life. Um, first I was raised in a really good home. I think I've already mentioned this and I was, I was taught to work really hard and never above any work. So how place thinking I was too good for this, I have no idea, but you know how it is. We want to, we, we tend to say we're not anxious about progressing fast enough, but then when life shows up or like, well, wait a minute, why am I going backwards? <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. And so I think what ended up happening was while I was driving truck, having to reconcile that it helped me very little to think I was going backwards because when my wife dropped me off at the truck to go and drive, she was so happy that I was doing something. Right. Yeah. When I tried to reconcile, she was thinking, Hey honey, we're getting ahead. And I'm thinking, no, but I'm going to be away from the kids and you. Right. And so you were already like away from them. (laughs) You you weren't present. Yeah. A hundred percent. A hundred. I wasn't present. Right. I wasn't, I wasn't there. So while I'm driving and while I'm thinking this this stuff through, I think literally what's happening for me in that moment. And if I take myself back there, I was just clicking into the realities of what actually was happening. I was Mm -hmm. clicking into my true capacity. I was clicking into back into, you know, you want life to be better then you got to do something about it. Right. Yeah. You see, I got myself thinking that, for two and a half years, or it was about two years that I that I basically lay in bed. Yeah. I remember thinking I'd think my way out of it. Right. But we all know without physiology, without your body getting involved and doing something and showing yourself the courage that we all want and the strength comes not from just having this amazing thought. 
It's got to go. If it starts here, it's got to go down to the heart and then come out through the hands. And I started realizing I was pulling in a paycheck and it was so weird because I was paying people at my office way more than I was making. And I was gone from house all the time (laughs) from the home, you know, (laughs) it's just very bizarre. Yeah. But I think, I I think what, what a, what a great experience. And so after you finished driving truck, what did you go to? Mm -hmm. Did you go back to the office and start running the business? Like, did you feel like, yes, mm -hmm. I got this now or what did that look Mm -hmm. like? Well, after that happened, um, yeah, we went, thanks for asking. You know, I, I, I went back to what I knew how to do back to the office, but I expanded. And what's interesting is I expanded into projects that not only did we build just the home, but we'd now take care of all the on-site stuff. And so uh, yeah, yeah. I, I brought more to the table. I bought more risk to the table. Um, and of course, during that time, I had just this transformation of, of, of being alive. You know, right. something that shifted my life, I'll never forget. I had this distinct moment, and I, I, I think I just came home from one of my trips. Or was it that I was already back at the office? But uh, I remember thinking um, while I was deep in my story that I was wasting my time. My children, um, I was wasting that precious, influential season, and they'd never have a dad or have a re- remembrance of a dad who was there for them when they're young. And thinking that was over, and I remember thinking if I could just become joyful to a small degree – but I understood that I had, I had been gone for a while. And so they probably didn't know what the purpose was for dad. Right. Yeah. And it was like about two weeks after, and I had a, a, a very quick transformation. Part of that quick transformation happened. I, I'm, you know, I'll never forget. I woke up in the middle of the night. It was 2.30 or so. And I'd had a horrible dream. And in my dream, I dreamt that somebody was sharpening a knife or loading a gun and they were coming to kill my wife. Now, it's a dream. And so I'm not really that into like weird, like voodoo, sure, like, sure. oh, dreams. I just get up. I'm like, hey, this is crazy. So I, I take a cold shower and I'm trying to really get out of state. I'm trying to change what's going on inside of me. But it's getting worse. And so I, I dry off and I walk around in the dining room, kitchen area. I'm just trying to shake it loose, opening windows. And there's, of course, a snow outside. I'm like peeking my head outside. Nobody's coming. It's all peaceful and quiet, nothing. And what's interesting is it just keeps building. And that feeling deepens and deepens, and deepens to the point where, where all of a sudden I just, I, I don't know what to do other than I'm just about, I feel like I'm about to like shatter and I've already become a lot stronger as a human. Hmm. So I kind of find this strange why this is happening. However, at a seminar that we've been to a while back, the seminar, the gentleman just basically said, listen, focus on gratitude. Like gratitude, when you are grateful, fear and anger, these things can't go coexist at the same time. And I'm thinking, yeah, what can I be grateful for now? I have no idea. And all I remember back in the day, and this is like a little, so my parents taught us from the Bible, of course, and you'll know this. And one of the things they taught us about is, you know, where two or three are gathered, there I am. So for those right. of you that don't have the faith, it's like, that's where God is. And so I remember thinking, I'll just go back to bed and I'll a spoon next to Meg. So I hop into bed and there's my little cute little Meg. She's, she's just curled up in a ball and she's yeah, like yeah, snoozing yeah. away. Like no big deal. And I'm thinking to myself, you know what? I'm just going to like get really close and I'm going to not wake her up because I don't want to spook her or whatever. And I'm sitting close to her and I'm just going to pray. And what's interesting is while I pray, I'm, I'm starting to pray. I'm starting to ask God. I'm saying, God, please take this away. And I'm doing all this stuff. And the more I'm asking, the worse it gets. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just loading on me. And it's just like, holy smoke, this person is getting close now. And I can't get out of this thought. Right. And right. all of a sudden, out of the blue, I had this thought about gratitude, what I had been taught, that what had led me to transformation. And I said, be grateful for what? Because this is a really terrible situation. 
though it's a dream, but it feels like it's real and I can't, and this is like so alive in me. And and all I remember doing is I, I remember thinking, I'm just going to say, I'm thankful that you are more powerful than, and I just remember thinking, because there is a source of power comes from somewhere. I'm just going to say, thanks for the source of power. And I, and I got to the first thing, like how large the power was. And all of a sudden, just like that. And I know this sounds a little crazy, but all of that fear just melted Yep. And there was a transformation that I could see, and, and my life has never been the same since that moment. So that's what why I the last really, Yeah, what I think is really interesting about this experience that you're describing is, is I think it was also highlighting what is most important to you. So this mm. fear, mm-hmm. this this was like almost like a metaphor for losing the most important thing in your life. Mm-hmm. That's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you mm-hmm. have this experience and it has to get so intense. So, you know, with, with, because mm-hmm. it's, it still impacts you or affects you to this day, thinking about that, you might even feel mm-hmm. some emotions thinking about mm-hmm. having been in that experience mm-hmm. because it showed you, this is what is most important in your life. Mm-hmm. And you go, wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All the stuff that you thought mattered mm-hmm. and, and, and why, why I shine a light on that is I think about to my own experience when I was, I was nearly dying and, and in my head, all it was, I wanted to see my wife again. I want to see my brother again. Mm-hmm. I want to see my mom and dad again. That was it. Mm-hmm. That was all I wanted. Mm-hmm. So everything I thought mm-hmm. that I wanted, everything I thought I was supposed to chase, mm-hmm. all the value I thought I was supposed to be going after. It's mm-hmm. like, no, 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 no. This is what matters in my life. Mm-hmm. And that's maybe what this experience was showing you. I think, yeah, no, I think you're spot on. There's, And I keep this very close to my heart. There's, there's four things. And I remember when I came out of my story, I wrote down, what is mine to do in this life? Like, what is mine? What is for me to mm-hmm. do in this life? And there's four basic things, paragraph for each things, but, and I know this off by heart and this is what it is. Number one is to lean in and listen intently and without distraction and shift from telling it. So telling it on the outside and teaching it what is going on to building a healthy relationship with it on the inside. I'm choosing to move and let it move through my body rather than the opposite where I'm always informing it. So I'm letting my body inform me, mm, not telling it, yeah. but letting my body show me. And see, I try to get out of my body so much back. And number two is to then experience with an open heart and an insatiable hunger. The identity yeah. that I already have, nothing added, nothing removed, rather to taste and enjoy the identity of who I've always been. Number three is to live within a new courage and a new trust to radically accept myself like never before. Number four, last one, to then drop into the life-giving grace of surrender that it always is, has always been about. And it's not surrender as in I give up, mm-hmm. but giving up my whole self that actually matters everything, not the perfection of it. Mm. Yeah, that's that's deep. And, uh, you know, I just want to say thanks to Valiant Thor here who's tuning in and dropped a couple of comments for us. Uh, appreciate that mm-hmm. and hope that you're hope you're enjoying the conversation as well. Uh, mm-hmm. I love that we get to do this live and people can sort of see this in real time. And mm-hmm. so this kind of leaves us, you know, as, as we're drawing to a close here and I appreciate, you know, your, your vulnerability, your willingness to, to share some of these things that you, you really struggled with. And uh, because <clears throat> sometimes we'll see someone like yourself in the position you're presently in, where you're presently at and go, well, like, I, I, I want to be there. But in order to be in the place that you're at now, you had to go through these experiences. It's mm-hmm. like in order to do the work that I do now, I do that because of what I went through and how it shaped me. And that's exactly what we talk about here is the stories that shape us, really the stories of our lives that shape us into who we are and what we're doing today. 
So for, for those listening out there, what, what is it that you do today? You know, because do you still have your, your home building business or is that something that's, you know, you've put aside to do what you do now? I've actually put, thanks for asking. I've put mm. all those moving pieces aside. I just realized that for me to feel truly fulfilled is to be about this inner work that I am here now and help other men and spot them. And let's be honest, they find me, right? And, mm. and, um, I love business, but what I love way more than success is when you get your values in alignment with what your heart, we all have something specific stamped on our heart. When we get our values in alignment with that and we slow it all down, you know, slow is smooth and smooth is fast. Mm. We tend to want to go fast because we want to get somewhere, but be anxious for nothing. Right, like fast, fast is rough, and rough is slow. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. That is spot on. Yeah. Right, and so, so no, I, so those those business moving pieces, I've I've basically gotten, you know, I've sold all of those those pieces off, and I've outsourced them, and so I have investments, uh, but men's work and group work. So my wife's a one on one coach for ladies, and I'm a one on one coach for men, but together or separate. We also do group work for, of mm, course, both, yeah. you know, men and women. So, uh, yeah. so yeah, no, this is all that I do. Cool. Well, maybe I'll have to interview your wife. I'll have to put her on the list of, uh, another like your story, you know, <laughs> yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll make that happen because I, I think it's, it's remarkable because I really want to hear the other side of the story now, mm. now that you've shared your story, because we've had, mm. we've had the, you know, mm. this isn't our first conversation. This is, this is our third, I think, in-depth mm-hmm. conversation. I've enjoyed every single one of them. But I, I want to hear the other side of the story now. So mm-hmm. now I'm, I'm actually going to put it out there. So Meg, if you ever hear this episode, uh, and you know, <laughs> I, I want I want to hear your side of the story because I think this is a really incredible story, and I love the work that both you and Meg do now. So if people want to find you, um, mm-hmm. it's like you know, I've been really touched by this guy's story. I want to connect with him and learn more about him. Where where do they go? Mm-hmm. Really simple. Just go to my website www.jamesheppner.com. So the spelling is J A M E S. H E P P N E R.com. And also yeah. you can find me on, uh, so uh, podcasting weekly wins and losses with James Hepner. And if you want to just get direct with me, send me an email and just send it to coach. And again, my name, so coach at James Hepner.com and you'll find me there. That's amazing. Well, just to close of the show, I always like to ask my guests, you know, for, from all of your combined sort of wisdom, the experience, mm-hmm. what you've learned, lessons in life, mm-hmm. if you're to give someone just a tangible takeaway from this conversation, they've listened to your story now, they've heard, you know, you get to this place, you know, if you could share a little piece of wisdom to help someone maybe, maybe move forward in their life and they might be feeling stuck, what would you share with them? Keep it really simple. I'll say it in four words. And I might get emotional saying it because it means this much to me. And that life owes you nothing. Yeah. So wherever you are, wherever you are, that's already more than life owes you nothing. And so it's all an an offering and an opportunity to be grateful. And from a place of life owes you nothing, what is impossible from a place like that? I love that. And what I love about that is, this isn't life owes you nothing as sort of a bitter disregard for life. No, but it's, it's to say, it's to really say everything you have in life is something to be grateful for because life owes you nothing. And when you realize from that perspective, gratitude becomes this powerful thing. So James, thank you so much for being on. Thank you for sharing your heart. Thank you for sharing your story. It's been such a pleasure. And I know this won't be our last conversation.
Thanks, John. Appreciate it. It was, it was, a, it was a blast. Thank you so much for tuning in to Between the Before and After. If you've enjoyed this episode, please like, share, subscribe, or leave a review because that helps this podcast to reach and inspire more people. I love exploring the stories that take place between the before and after, the powerful experiences that shape who we become, and I love human potential. I love the possibilities that lie within us. So whatever you may be up against, I hope these stories inspire you because if you're still here, your story's not done yet, so keep moving forward. Anyone can come from any place of brokenness and destitution and build an amazing life.